This is Our Numinous Nature, and I'm your host, Philippe. We'll be hearing the profound stories of people with a deep connection to the natural world, from herbalists to hunters, wildlife rehabilitators to trappers, artists to homesteaders. The list goes on. My hope is to thread a needle that weaves together the many nature-related passions through stories of reverence. In nature, I've found meaning, a richness for life that grows with each new day. Maybe you feel the same. Or maybe you long to. Okay, we have got a little bit of an experiment on today's episode. What you heard in that intro was some music that I made. I used to make electronic music in my 20s and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it during college. So I thought I might bring that back. Um, The past episode where I was able to play some of that kind of Gregorian chant with the Hildegard soundtrack, um, and then the one before that with the Cherokee traditional dances and songs, it just got me so inspired to add more music to the podcast. So I thought maybe I'm going to try making some. So throughout this episode, you're going to hear some kind of uh, score-like, soundtrack-like music of mine. All right, so today's podcast guest is Lori Burra. She is an herbalist. She is an, an organic herb farmer. And, well, the last podcast, we talked about a 12th century mystic. St. Hildegard von Bingen. And I think there's kind of some connections with today's guest. I don't think she would ever say that she's a mystic, but certainly the intuitions that she's received and is going to share on this podcast are indeed mystical and are quite extraordinary. So this is the fourth stop on my little Asheville podcast trip. The first stop was with a Jim McDowell, who's an artist and potter. The second episode was with Sonny Ledford, who's a cultural ambassador for the Eastern Band of Cherokee. The third stop was with Rebecca Bayer of Blood and Spice Bush. We talked about plant lore, plant history, ancestors, all that kind of fun stuff, witchcraft stuff, St. Hildegard von Bingen. And here we have today the last stop with Lori. This one was totally unplanned. The other three, that was the focus. I was driving down. I was going to interview those folks outside of the Asheville area. This one just so happened to be a synchronicity. And synchronicity is actually a word uh, coined by one of my heroes, Carl Jung, who I talk about all the time. 
synchronicity is a meaningful coincidence. So, you know, I just tried to find a place to stay, a camp, so a campground, a farm I could camp on, and it turned out to be Lori's. And within one second of talking to her, literally within one minute, we're, um, you know, we're talking about past life stuff. And I just kind of said, stop. And I said, you, can we do a podcast episode? So three days later, we did this episode. When we recorded this one in Lori's kitchen, I could not help think about the Matrix. In the Matrix, Neo goes to an old black lady's home and she's cooking cookies. And he goes to her kitchen and he asks her this great question. And I think it's basically, he asks if he's the one. Now, for me today with this episode, it was more like I just went to the Oracle's home and just asked, like, what is the nature of reality? <laughs> like, cause it, I truly felt like I was in the presence of an Oracle. And um, I, for one, have never met someone with such a vivid past life experiences. So they're so compelling. And, um, and her brush with a near-death experience as a little girl equally is absolutely vivid and stunning and profound. And all of you, all of this makes life so much more mysterious to hear from someone who has gone there and has received the visions from the other side. Quite extraordinary. Now, if you're interested in Lori's um, herbalism, her farm, some of her upcoming events, there are two websites you can check out. Both of them, there are links in the show notes. One is greenheartgardenswnc.com. The other one is herbmama.com, mama with two M's. Um, Lori has some events coming up in August and in September. She's got a smudge stick um, workshop and a woodland plant site location planting and propagation a workshop, and then in September, a flower crown, and then another one that is a farm tour with, Appalach- with Appalachian Sustainable Agricultural Programs, ASAP. So if you're interested in those, go to HerbMama.com and um, check it out. Past lives, what a profound and mysterious topic. You know, it's been brought up a little bit on this podcast. I find it very intriguing. So badly do I want to know if it's real, if I have my own past life experiences. If we all have experienced another life as Lori has, and you'll hear about on this podcast, then the questions it opens are are completely endless. Do we, the people that we love and know in our lives, have, have we known them before? are our fears, the things that, you know, I don't know, I just got this intense fear of the ocean. Or, uh, you know, I just, I'm so freaked out of snakes. Like, are these connected to past life experiences? Are the things we love so much, like the podcast guests I've interviewed who are so deeply into living history, what, you know, they get dressed up in 17th century, uh, sorry, they get dressed up in like 18th and 19th century clothing. Um, are they reliving a forgotten life? Do we visit places through our travels that we've been before? 
And maybe someone as sensitive as Lori can pick up on that when others just say, I just love it here. For instance, I've got a buddy, my old film partner up in New York. This isn't quite past lives, but well, maybe in a way it is. But, you know, he's not into ghost stuff. He's not into anything. He's He is a sensation type, as in what is real is what you can feel, taste, touch, and, you know, career-focused and um, just the material world is the world. And he told me he, you know, he's of Irish descent, and he went to visit Ireland. They went to the town that his family is from. It's like a village. And there was this building that he just felt compelled to take a picture of. He just thought, oh, that's such a pretty building. He took a picture of it, didn't think anything of it. You know, the photo is on his cell phone. Months, years later, he felt compelled to do some, uh, he's a New Yorker. So a lot of his family from Ireland and I think his Jewish uh, side of his family from Hungary, they've all, they all came to New York City. So he's looking into his ancestry, how they came to New York. And he found a, a great, great grandfather, maybe more greats than that. But um, he started studying this person and he was able to find records of where his ancestor lived. And he then realized the building he had photographed was where that ancestor had lived and it freaked him out. So whether it's ancestry or past lives, how these things connect is just so mysterious. So I'm going to read a little bit from the beginning of a book called Life Before Life. And this is by Jim B. Tucker. And this is a child psychiatrist at UVA. So UVA, the University of Virginia, is pretty close to where I live now. So I actually wrote to this psychiatrist asking if he would do the podcast and I got a, a polite um, a polite decline. But uh, maybe if we all pray hard enough for it, we could get him on the podcast. Now, how I found him was not through this book, but it was actually, if you have a Netflix account, there is an absolutely incredible docuseries on Netflix called Surviving Death. It's about six episodes. Each one explores a different variations on the topic. There's an episode on near-death experiences, on mediums, on messages from the dead, on ghosts, I believe, and on past lives. Now, the near-death and the past lives one are the most compelling to me. All of the episodes are incredible. All of them, my hairs would be standing up, but probably my favorite would be the near death and the past lives. And on the past lives episode, you can see this author, uh, Jim B. Tucker, this child psychiatrist and um, professor of psychiatry. You can see him discussing some of his investigations and going to visit some of the kids with these extremely compelling um, past life stories. Before we get into that reading, let me just say thank you to a handful of you who are helping out with this podcast via Patreon. I've created an account at patreon.com forward slash Our Numerous Nature. A handful of you are already patrons, and because of you, I can go on trips like this and take a bunch of days to go do them, and um, I 
plan to keep going with that. So I wanted to say thank you to On Stanley of Pyramid, which is a folk magic metaphysical general store in Waynesboro, Virginia. We've got Bailey Grenert. Hey, Bailey, hope all is well in Ohio. We've got Caleb, Franklin Renshaw, Jamie Nudd, an old friend uh, from filmmaking uh, back in New York and such. Thank you. Thank you, Jamie. James Mann, Jess Paget, uh, Michelle Alderson, Rachel Hawkshaw, Ryan Goechner, Tyler Lively. Thank you so much. Water Light. And let's see, and Cedar Hill Homestead. Thank you, Victoria. And Diana Jablonski. Okay, thank, and everyone else um, who's on the lower tiers, thank you very much. Let's get in this reading and let's get into this epic episode with Lori. Okay, I'm gonna do two readings here. The first one is from Ian Stevenson. And my assumption is this is the predecessor of the longer reading, which is by Jim Tucker. Ian Stevenson was a Canadian-born American psychiatrist, the founder and director of the Division of Perceptual Studies at the University of Virginia School of Medicine. He was a professor at the University of Virginia School of Medicine for 50 years. So that is Wikipedia. So he's got a book called Children Who Remember Previous Lives. And I was going to read chapter two, The Belief in Reincarnation. Many persons believe they have lived before being born into what we may call the present life. To those who have this belief, it does not seem strange at all. They would agree with Voltaire, who wrote, It is not more surprising to be born twice than once. Yet persons unfamiliar with the idea of reincarnation often find it unreasonable and even absurd. They, however, may form a minority of all the inhabitants of the earth. Believers in reincarnation possibly outnumber those who reject the idea or who have never heard of it. Many Westerners mistakenly think that only the inhabitants of Southeast Asia believe in reincarnation. This error probably arose because the Hindus and Buddhists of that region recorded the belief in their ancient religious scriptures, and they emphasize it in their modern teachings. Their doctrines have diffused into the West in translations through the efforts of their missionaries and in not always reliable popular distillates. The inhabitants of many other parts of the world, however, also believe in reincarnation. Large groups of Shiite Muslims of Western Asia believe in it. So do many inhabitants of West Africa and East Africa who have been formally but incompletely converted to Islam and Christianity. A large minority of the inhabitants of Brazil believe in reincarnation. Their belief appears to derive from ideas about it brought by Africans to Brazil, where they became emulsified with concepts of spiritualism imported from France in the 19th century. Another substantial number of persons who believe in reincarnation live in Northwestern North America. The native tribes of that region have preserved the belief in reincarnation, which forms a part of their traditional religion, despite some erosion of it through the efforts of Christian missionaries and educators, both of whom have, from different points of view, inculcated a belief in one life on earth. Numerous other peoples also believe in reincarnation, but I shall mention only a few additional examples. Anthropologists of the 20th century have reported the belief among the Tribriand Islanders, the tribes of Central Australia, and the Ainu of Northern Japan. The widespread occurrence of belief in reincarnation led Schopenhauer to remark, 
were an Asiatic to ask me for a definition of Europe, I should be forced to answer him. It is that part of the world completely dominated by the outrageous and incredible delusion that a man's birth is his beginning and that he is created out of nothing. Life Before Life, A Scientific Investigation of Children's Memories of Previous Lives by Jim B. Tucker. John McConnell, a retired New York City policeman working as a security guard, stopped at an electronics store after work one night in 1992. He saw two men robbing the store and pulled out his pistol. Another thief behind a counter began shooting at him. John tried to shoot back, and even after he fell, he got up and shot again. He was hit six times. One of the bullets entered his back and sliced through his left lung, his heart, and the main pulmonary artery, the blood vessel that takes blood from the right side of the heart to the lungs to receive oxygen. He was rushed to the hospital, but did not survive. John had been close to his family and had frequently told one of his daughters, Doreen, No matter what, I'm always going to take care of you. Five years after John died, Doreen gave birth to a son named William. William began passing out soon after he was born. Doctors diagnosed him with a condition called pulmonary valve atresia, in which the valve of the pulmonary artery was not adequately formed, so blood cannot travel through it to the lungs. In addition, one of the chambers of his heart, the right ventricle, had not formed properly as a result of the problem with the valve. He underwent several surgeries, although he will need to take medication indefinitely. He has done quite well. William had birth defects that were very similar to the fatal wounds suffered by his grandfather. In addition, when he became old enough to talk, he began talking about his grandfather's life. One day, when he was three years old, his mother was at home trying to work in her study when William kept acting up. Finally, she told him, Sit down, or I'm going to spank you. William replied, Mom, when you were a little girl, I was your daddy, and you were bad a lot of times, and I never hit you. His mother was initially taken aback by this. As William talked more about the life of his grandfather, she began to feel comforted by the idea that her father had returned. William talked about being his grandfather a number of times and discussed his death. He told his mother that several people were shooting during the incident when he was killed, and he asked a lot of questions about it. One time, he said to his mother, When you were a little girl and I was your daddy, what was my cat's name? She responded, You mean Maniac? No, not that one, William answered. The white one. Boston? His mom asked. Yeah, William responded. I used to call him Boss, right? That was correct. The family had two cats, named Maniac and Boston, and only John referred to the white one as Boss. One day, Doreen asked William if he remembered anything about the time he was born. He said that he died on Thursday and went to heaven. He said that he saw animals there and also talked to God. He said, I told God I was ready to come back, and I got born on Tuesday. Doreen was amazed that William mentioned days, since he did not even know his days of the week without prompting. She asked him by saying, So you were born on Thursday and died on Tuesday? He quickly responded, No. I died on Thursday at night and was born Tuesday in the morning. 
He was correct on both counts. John died on a Thursday, and William was born on a Tuesday, five years later. He talked about the period between lives at other times. He told his mother, when you die, you don't go right to heaven. You go to different levels, here, then here, then here. As he moved his hand up each time. He said that animals are reborn as well as humans, and that the animals he saw in heaven did not bite or scratch. John had been a practicing Roman Catholic, but he believed in reincarnation and said that he would take care of animals in his next life. His grandson, William, says that he will be an animal doctor and will take care of large animals at a zoo. William reminds Doreen of her father in several ways. He loves books, as his grandfather did. When they visit William's grandmother, he can spend hours looking at books in John's study, duplicating his grandfather's behavior from years before. William, like his grandfather, is good at putting things together and can be a nonstop talker. William especially reminds Doreen of her father when he tells her, Don't worry, Mom, I'll take care of you. are in the southern Appalachians in the <laughs> upper part of the lower Hominy Valley um, in the shadow of Mount Pisgah, which is the second largest peak in the southern Appalachians in the valley where the Cherokee used to raise their medicine. It's very special land. Okay, so I read that on your website and I'm so intrigued by that. How do you know that this was, an, uh, I guess, an indigenous medis- medicine area? Um, well, first the land told me, and then I got confirmation from people who have lived here longer and know more than I do. This land, since the white man's here, we are the second people to own the land. Are you serious? Since white men have owned it. Are you serious? Yes. Wow. Yes. This valley was um, inhabited by three families. Incredible. And um, so how, how did you, I'm so, so, you know, when I got here, we immediately started talking about like the most incredible stuff. Um, like, how did you get that information? Like, how did you intuit that? I don't really know. It just sort of comes to me and I just get information and I never really ask about it. It just resonates. And then I confirmed. So, um, so do you feel like it just thought, like a full, fully formed thought? I guess intuition is like a fully formed thought, just bam. Is well, we, decided, we, were buying, we were looking for land to buy, and we were actually looking up in um, Barnardsville, and it wasn't working out. And my friend, who was my realtor, said, look, I have another piece of land to show you. And we came here, and I don't know about you, but when I encounter energies of a higher vibration than me, I get tense and I, my energy shoots down and I get like headache. I just feel very dense and like headaches, nauseous, stuff like that. So we left and we came back the next day. I, pre- I had to literally prepare myself. I couldn't just be here to walk the land. There was I just felt instantly there was something special about this land. And I just, I'm sensitive sometimes and I wasn't realizing I was sensitive. So I came back the next day 
prepared. And as I walked around without shoes um, on the non-forest part of the land, it just started talking to me. And it was like a magnet, like two magnets coming together. Like, yes, this is the fit. Um, so I knew that the rest of my life was going to be here. That is stunning. I, I've never heard anyone describe it like that. Like that feeling with, with that the energy was too much. I've never really, I've never really thought about that. I've had lots of bizarre feelings, experiences, sometimes just feeling tears coming, um, or sometimes feeling like a hauntedness, but I haven't quite felt what you just said, which is like a higher energy. Oh, well, that's, that's how I respond, you know. Mm. Well, you probably, when you had your reactions, did something like taking a deep breath. Mm. And that grounds you and that helps you absorb the other energy. Mm. So you probably just do it without thinking about it. Mm. You know, but when I came on this land, it was very intense. Mm. It was really intense. And I had to just stop and breathe. And I just about went into a migraine and I just, I had to leave. And I was fine once I left. But then when I came back the next day, we had also the next day we hadn't been anywhere. So we were fresh. We came, walked around. We actually had a picnic. Mm. And um, I put in an offer that night. Mm. And they accepted it the next day. Well, it's so interesting to me hearing you say that, that um, you didn't perceive the the almost pain, like a migraine, to be a sign not to be here. You know, I feel like maybe someone like oh. me who doesn't know enough about that kind of realm of existence that I might have perceived that as, hey, we're not supposed to be here. My head hurts. Like you somehow, mm. like, I, do you see what I'm saying? I re- think that's really fascinating that yeah. you did, that was perceived as you weren't prepared for the area, not that you were being told to get away or it's negative or anything like that. Um, I've been working with um, energies in various ways most of my life. So I'm aware of it and sensitive and have made conscious efforts to understand what's going on and, you know, why is this happening and what's the best way for me to get the most out of it in a positive way, Mm. you know. And so I've been trained Mm. to raise my vibration, you know, to take certain steps to raise my vibration when I'm dealing with higher vibrations. They help me raise mine. Mm. (laughs) But... Usually I'm prepared. <laughs> you know, usually I'm doing something consciously. This wasn't. So so just um because I'm so intrigued by what you're saying, how does one elevate your vibration? Is it through meditation, through breath? Yes. I mean everybody has different ways of doing it. Um what I do is yeah, I go um I'll start breathing deeply and read my body and see what my chakras are feeling, like what's going on in my body, where am I interpreting this? And to see, usually that's a trigger for me. You know, so like this day, why is it hitting me in the head like this? Because that was unusual. I don't usually feel it there. Mm. Like, you know, why, you know, this is really smacking me. Why is it smacking me? And I went, whoa, this is like a very high vibration. Let's prepare. So that, you know, uh, that night I drank a lot of water and I had some, probably some Tulsi tea or something like that. Um, in the morning, um, I didn't eat. I just had some tea again, you know. So I can't. I kind of purified myself, mm-hmm. which is another way to raise it. Um, I had been listening to music that lifted my spirits. That's always a good way. I use music when I'm down and I really want to shift it quickly because mm. you know you can get to some music that'll just lift your spirits. Mm. Your spirits are usually a good indication of your energy level. Um, 
I just been my experience. My, you, when my you whole said life. your spirits, you mean like your emotional temperament? Well, if you're feeling you, you have different bodies. You have, you know, your physical body. You have an emotional body. You have eight different levels of your body. And um, well, okay, I'm not. I don't. I'm not familiar. Okay, Please. well, you have eight. I, I can't name all of them. I just, um, I deal mostly in the physical. Right outside of your physical body, super close to you, is your emotional body. Mm. Um, actually, physical pain mm. is an emo- an emotional issue manifesting in your body, like something that you haven't dealt with. Something's bothering you, you're not dealing with. For example, um, at one point, I had... Just had my, well, my son was about a year old. I'd gone back to work. He was my third. Three kids. I have my mom, dad, and my, uh, oh, actually, my dad had passed away. So I'm taking care of my mom, who is uh, paraplegic, <laughs> actually psychotic paraplegic. That was a lot of fun. And my grandmother, you know, and having kids, I'm working. And I fell and I broke my wrist. And um, I'm sitting there one day on the phone, and I was talking to a friend, said, I'm handling too much. And I went, duh. There you go. I was told that I was probably going to need surgery. My thumb was in a precarious position, um, that I was going to be casted for at least five or six months, and this guy was going on and on and on. Um, Once I heard myself say, you're handling too much, I went, duh, and offloaded a bunch of work, changed things around a whole bit. Um, I also took some herbs for my hand. I took um, comfrey to help the cells grow fast. And I took horsetail, which is silica, to help the bone form strong. Mm. My first visit at the orthopedist, the cast came off. He was mm. scratching his head. Mm. He's like, I don't know what you did. Oh, by the way, I bet him my part of his fee that there's no way my cast would be on for five months. There's mm. no chance. And he was like, oh, it's absolutely going to be on for five months. My cast was on five weeks. Did he get the discount? Um, yeah. Um, I believe very much what you're saying, more and more so. I'm in a group of men my age up to like 65. Um, you know, it's very much in the in the Jungian perspective. Um, Carl Jung, psychologist, um, very much, you know, over the years talking with these guys, the, the concept of um, our um, issues in the emotional realm becoming physical has become more and more apparent to me. I mean, things even... It's like an STD can, can come from like sexual shame and just all these things like that. I'm seeing manifest more and more. And, and even through discussing, you know, why the emotional side of these things, people can heal. I used to get poison ivy a lot. And it was like, why, what's going on? And, um, I was at an herb conference and, um, we did, uh, you know, how to spirit-wise meet meet a plant. So I decided to meet poison ivy. And it was like, what the hell's going on here, you know? And the poison ivy said, you're numb. You haven't been feeling. I'm helping you learn to feel again. And again, it was right around when, you know, having kids and working and taking care of my, my parents, my grandmother, you know. Life was very stressful. So well, I that was is numb. incredible. So I it's like numb. if you're going to be numb, we're going to make you itch like hell, yeah, and make you have little boils all over you to make you pay attention to your body, yeah, just to feel it again. To feel, I, I took it more as an emotional feel, not so much a physical feel, because okay. okay. the life was very rote. You know, we were just getting through the day. What do I have to do to get through this day? You know, what do the kids need? What does you know mom need? What does dad need? You know, do I have to go out? My grandmother was like an hour away. Do I have to go out and take care of her? And 
you know, what am I doing? Um, and it was just day by day by day. And it was like, whoa, you know, there's no Lori time. <laughs> I've told this on the podcast before, but it was like two two years ago. So I'll say it again. But I know for because you're talking about poison ivy. For me, when I, you know, I had an intense fear of it when I first moved back here and I was getting it all the time. And I had friends, you know, somewhat like you in the herbal realm who would, who would always talk about talking to plants, which seemed absurd to me, you know, in my rationalist living in New York City for 10 years. But, you know, inside of me, I'm very much a Pisces, very much into all sorts of the spiritual and the occult as I'm learning more and more about them and trying to believe in them and, and follow my intuition. But anyways, I started talking to the poison ivy because every day I'd walk through a huge field that was full of it. And I would just say like, hey, like, sorry to tread on you. You know, and just like, well, and I'd say, hey, I'll draw you, you know, because I'm drawing every other plant. I'm being hired to draw. I was like, hey, I'll draw you too. Don't worry. And as I did that, you know, the point now every once in a while I'll get like one dot, but nothing like, you know, huge, a huge rash on my back or on my arms. And um, I recall when I was thinking so much about poison ivy, I was, I would brought it up to my Jungian analyst. And he says, there's a, a book written by a Jungian and she was saying her whole life, she would get poison ivy to the point of being bedridden and would be like, um, like calloused, like mm. unable to move. And this woman discovered that, that what was going on was her father was a doctor, her mother was a nurse. As a child, she got the most love when she was sick. And mm. once she made that realization that, that her poison ivy stopped having this effect on her body. And you want to laugh? I ended up years later cultivating poison ivy for a client. Well, I want to hear about that because you said you're the only person in America who does USDA organic poison ivy. I have the only USDA organic poison, which I have been killing lately because my customer um, is not in business now. But yeah. Well, let's, what was it? I mean, I've never heard anything like that. He so. makes the whole, he was making the homeopathic remedy to poison ivy, which is actually also the remedy to rheumatoid arthritis and shingles. So when you, when you take the homeopath, homeopathy means like cures like. So yes. it's more of an energy. They tincture it and then split it and split it like thousands of times. Um, so you're not really taking poison ivy at that point. But I just found that taking the remedy cut my, the intensity and the length of the outbreaks. So the again, I, I was mentioning how every every week I speak to a Jungian analyst and have been for like nine years, eight, nine. Um, he is deep into homeopathy. I barely understand it. He's given me a few remedies here and there for COVID and whatnot. Could you, because we've never explored this on the podcast and I am like beyond a layman. What can you, you were just starting there, but like, so what is homeopathy? And you're saying it like cures like, that's what he's told me. Can you just describe what homeopathy is? Um, but that's what it is. It's like cures like. So like the poison ivy, the, the cure, the names of the remedies are the Latin for what it is. So poison ivy is, oh, I'm going to blow, I'm not really good at the Latin. Rux toxicondrin or something like that. Um, the remedy for bee stings are like literally ground up bees in alcohol and they split it and put more alcohol in it. And then they split it. I, I you know, you'll see X's or C's. I don't know that those are the Roman numerals. One is hundreds of times, one's thousands of times. And the more they split it somehow, the more powerful the remedy is. And, and uh, um, again, I'm beyond layman in this, but basically the way it's been told to me is it's, it is, um, 
it, it, I don't distill is not the right word, but it's it's it is it is cut. It's cut, cut. so many times that yeah. the original poison ivy is no longer in it, and then Correct. you're eating like a little sugar pellet. That well, if you if you look at a tincture, mm. you know, so you take an herb and or a root and whatever, and you stick it in hundred proof alcohol six weeks, and then you take the plant matter out. What you're left with isn't alcohol anymore either, mm. and it's not plant like the 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 constituents of the active constituents of the plants are extracted through the alcohol so you're not going to get drunk taking a remedy mm. you know a tincture so this is like a tincture that's cut thousands hundreds if not thousands of times mm. um somehow it works i knew um what was it the early 1900s the flu epidemic mm. They had fabulous success curing people of the flu with homeopathy. And um, yeah, my guy, Curtis, um, he was saying that even with COVID in India, they were having great success with the homeopathic remedy, which I which I was taking. And, and it's like, I forgot what it is. It's like crushed up bed bugs or something crazy like really? that. Really? I've been looking for that and following mm. the American herbal, the master herbalist and things mm. like that. Um, so there was the, this plant that we used for it called Eusnea. Hmm. There's nothing, nothing. Ooh, is that the is that old man's beard? Yes, and it grows on the trees here it in grow, Appalachia. Right, it's, it's like just, wispy. That's a plant. It's it's well, it, it's not a plant. It's it's its own thing. It's 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 its own thing. It's uh, it's lichen-y looking. It like is a moss- lichen. Okay, it is a lichen. Um, so uh, a friend of mine who's a hemp processor, we cut wood in the winter. I'm always finding it, collecting it. I actually, people come to visit me now, and they're so used to me walking around picking it up that when people walk around, they pick it up and give it to me here. Mm. Um, so anyway, I ended up with like two pounds of it, and I gave it to this hemp processor. We did a double extraction. Mm. So we extracted it in water, and we extracted it in alcohol. Um, and then we put it in one-ounce jars and, and two-ounce vials, and we handed it out to the homeless people in Asheville. Wow, that's beautiful. Um, and she gave me a little bit, but I never needed it. I don't know. Well, I just And I'll just say for someone who's listening who's not too deep into the plant plant world or all that or herbalism, you got to Google Usnia, old man's beard, because it's really cool. You, it's unique. It's cool. Uh, it looks so like U S N E A. Usnea. Usnea. I don't know. People pronounce I, it. I saw ways. it for the first time visiting my sister out in Denver. In the it's got to be the stretchy one if it doesn't stretch. Mm. I found a bunch of it when I was in um, the Sequoia National Forest, mm. but none of it was stretchy. Mm. So, it, you know, and I'm not familiar with the West Coast stuff mm. and how you'd use it, but that, I'm taught to look for the stretchy. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So back to the homeopathy, it's fascinating because it's like shingles on the body is quite similar to to poison ivy on the body. Yeah, yeah. Really fascinating. I find that um, there's something quite magical in the idea of curing like with like. There's some kind of like magical thinking that I like. It's very, I don't know, it's kind of very beautiful to me. It also makes me think of a term I learned through my herbal friends, which is um, the... I'm sure you'll hopefully you'll be able to finish my sentence here. It's when you see a plant that looks like the body system that helps. Um, the signature. of signatures. Yes. There's something about a plant that mimics the system of the body that it's meant to help. Like how did our ancestors know hmm. what plants did? I'm sure they had a much more direct relationship with plants than we do now. Also, I'm, I'm sure they, they knew how to listen to the plants. People go, I talk to plants. Like, well, anybody can talk to a plant, but can you listen to the plant? Can you, get, can you hear it back? Can you hear it back? Um, you know, I, I try, you know, when I'm around people like you, I really try, even though it's like not so 
in the, my forefront of my consciousness to, to do things like that. I'm trying, especially when I meet people like you. So like even setting up my camp in the woods, there's a lot of poison ivy. And I was saying to the poison ivy, I was just like, hey, um, I'm going to throw some leaves on top of you so I can set up my tent. And then it was like, why don't you move your tent over? I was like, okay, I'll move my tent over. I, so I left the poison ivy alone. You know, it's funny. Poison ivy grows when the land feels threatened. Hmm. I didn't know it was over there where you're staying. I actually am going to go. I have a sprayer with vinegar. Um, there's seen, this is a huge year for poison ivy. In this I, there's area. so much of it, it's stunning to me, it's, looking around in the woods. It's amazing, yeah. I mean, we had a flood last year, a creek flooded with a tropical storm Floyd. And to see what's coming in after it now when the other stuff's gone is really interesting. So it's, it turns out it's mostly poison ivy, may apple, mm. and um, wild lilies. Okay. Interesting. I have to sit and mull on that. Interesting. Um, but I am going to kill the poison ivy because it's not good for campers. And you spray it with a with that vinegar? Industrial strength vinegar. Oh, fascinating. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I'm As opposed to I used to harvest like 60, 70 pounds of it a year. Well, how would you do that? Would you put on gloves? Or oh, you just- gloves. I had special clothes. I had my hair under like a bunch of things so there wasn't a wisp for me to you know push away. Um, gloves up to above my elbows. I had special screens to dry them on. Um, and then I'd wash the clothes in vinegar. Before entering your house or stuff? Um, well, you know, when I took my clothes off, I would, um, it's a good test for interns. I always had interns come help me with that. (sighs) They always thought it was cool. Yeah, that is extremely cool, but a little (laughs) scary. It is a little scary, but you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not, I wouldn't say scary. It is out there. Hey, you know, I knew someone who's very much a, very much a, a wild man of the woods. Um, he would, um, in the very earliest bit of spring, when the talking about light cures like he w- when the first poison ivy was popping up, the tiniest leaf, he would eat that to create a um, immunity. Do you have you heard of anything like that, or do you believe my in gr- that? My grandmother used to make a tea with the leaves that were had the red on them. Mm. And, and I'll tell you, I never had poison ivy until the year she died. And that year I had it so bad that um, I actually went on prednisone because I could only see out of 30% of one eye. It, it was like April, was it February? I was cleaning out a piece of garden and there was no way to identify the root. They didn't have the fur on them and I didn't realize and I had, had my hands all over my face and everything. And it, it was, my son's name is David. And I used to call him my seeing eye David hmm. instead of a seeing eye dog. You know? Yeah. It was wow. pretty bad that year. And I, that was when I started to say, wait a minute. Wow. I have to, this plant and I have to learn to get along better. Wow. Now, um, looping back to the Cherokee, because I'm so fascinated by this kind of stuff. Are you cultivating plants that would have, the medicinal plants that would have also been cultivated by the Cherokee? I, not necessarily. I'm not really making that kind of an effort. Um, I'm cultivating the herbs that I'm familiar with that come to, and people hand me seeds, you know, Mm. all the time. Um, there's, I have two plants in the garden. I still have no idea what they are and nobody's been able to identify mm. them for me yet either. It's kind of weird. Um, but I just do useful and indi- I'm into indigenous herbs, you know, herbs, cool. um, a lot of the, it turns out the climate here is really similar to where they grow herbs in China. So a lot mm. of people here are into Chinese herbs, but I believe that if I really needed to learn Chinese herbs, I would have incarnated in China. And not in you know not in the United States, so I, I stick with um, pretty much indigenous. 
I grew up with herbs with my grandmother, so you know I've added a couple since my early teachings. But um, any given herbalist probably uses maybe twenty herbs on a regular basis, probably more like ten. And I doubt that you know to to get into the guild, you have to identify properties of one hundred and fifty herbs. I would never do that. I would never work with that many herbs. I probably have sixty different species growing here. Yeah, when I was first learning plants, I was hearing, um, you know, forget trying to learn all these Latin names. Just pick one plant and try to learn a lot about it. So I've been going very slow. Like, again, I'm not an herbalist. I'm not necessarily super inspired by the medicine. Maybe that's because I'm young. I don't have enough ailments yet to to be (laughs) eating all this medicine. But um, I am, well, you know... So I actually heard, I think it was Daniel Vitalis talk about this. He's a foraging guy, hunting guy, but he was, he had a a old podcast called rewilding yourself. But, um, he would say how, you know, 10 years ago, if I would go up into the Hudson river Valley and look at the woods, it was just the woods. It was one thing. It was just a solid mass. It's trees. So over the years of now, you know, living in the mountains of Virginia for five years, now we live in West Virginia. Once you, once the woods break up into individual species. It is a literally like mind shifting. It's a paradigm shift. Oh, like to always, suddenly see, yeah. like now it's like, oh, that's um, a white pine forest. That's a tulip poplar forest. And then to just walk around and to see all the species stacked on top of each other, to know history about them, to know some medicinal properties about them. It is literally like a, it's, it is almost like a psychedelic, like it, it you know, it, I've said this before. It's almost an occult knowledge. As we become more urbanized, to know all of these plants is like almost a secret knowledge. Yeah, I, I, when I travel by car, I judge. I shouldn't say judge isn't the right word. I interpret what's going on and around it by how happy, how many layers there are to the forest how balanced it is between the floor, the middle, you know, and the upper growth, um, how close things are together, how green they are, how much they're touching or not touching. Um, they give off a vibe, you know, and I can usually tell. I can see the difference when I go through. We we had to drive from North Carolina to Michigan a couple times. And, like, you go through Kentucky, and I can just feel, I don't know, what they did to the land there. And, and I just look at these open fields, and, and they don't, I think it's corn. I think that because when I've gone, the crops haven't been up. So I don't know what the farmers are growing. But to see all that dead space there, it just drives me crazy. Because mm. I can just hear the ground crying. Mm. I can just hear it. Like it just, things need to be growing. Mm. Um, as a as a farmer, you know, and you look at all the variety, this area of the Southern Appalachians has more variety of plants than I think any place else in North America. Mm-hmm. And maybe even in the Amazon. And um, so, uh, as a farmer, it's really hard because how do you not get weeds? You know, what George Washington Crawford says, a weed is a plant growing in the wrong place. Mm. So, here I'm trying to grow all this stuff and and then I get all these other weeds. And I had a crew here helping me get stuff together. And it's so funny, I went in behind them. They didn't weed the plantain. I'm like, the plantain doesn't go in the medicine bed. It goes in the middle parts, you know, but they were like, but it's a useful plant. It's, Mm. It's medicine. I was like, I understand that. But if you, you know, just look around you, there's a ton of it. You know, so like sometimes mm-hmm. it's a weed and sometimes it's a medicine. You know, where does it go? So uh, it, 
weeding is an issue here. <laughs> well, so that opens up. You know, but you were also talking about the forests. Mm-hmm. So it's been very amazing to me to learn about woodland botanicals because mm-hmm. I was totally unfamiliar with them. And now I teach about it, which is pretty funny. Like site locations, how do you know where to plant things? How do you read the woods? Where do you put the trails and things like that? Um, and I just spent like 10 years studying with the experts in um, the Appalachian Beginning Forest Farmers. Mm-hmm. Gives lots of classes, and they're real cheap, and they're online. You can look them up. Lots of great videos and papers. And there's a plant research, horticultural research station here. And there's a woman who wrote the textbook on growing woodland medicinals and, you know, studying with her. And it's amazing how much medicine grows in the forest. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It's way more than just ginseng. Mm-hmm. You know, just saying everybody will get rich quick, but, you know, totally not. It is interesting as I've been learning all this through people like you who've been hiring me. I've been hired a lot by forest farming initiatives and groups in West Virginia, um, in New England. Um, the U Mountain Center has hired me to do some stuff in West Virginia. Um, it is interesting as I've been learning these things, drawing them, which an education, drawing is an immense education. Yeah, because, I usually recommend to people to then, draw, not only draw them, but color them in. Look at how many colors are in a leaf. Yes. Well, it, I made a coloring book with my mom, who, who is a, stu- a student of herbalism. But um, what I was going to say is um, what is fascinating is as I'm learning them um, through people like you, as I'm drawing them, as I'm going on daily walks, like I can see how also, I don't know what the right word would be, like powerful it is that if I really needed it, I'm now, even though I'm a total layman and I'm not- You're a beginner. I'm a beginner. A, okay. Not a layman. Okay. You're a beginner. I literally could leave right now and I could go and get black collage. I know exactly where there's a patch that. I know I just found my first ginseng. I could go get that if I needed it. You know, and so, you know- um, it's just fascinating that you, as I was kind of saying before, as the species open up, and I know a lot people are, you know, they don't want you going out there and digging. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm just trying to say is that it's absolutely fascinating to, as you're learning your landscape, if you were really in need of a medicine or something, to just learn more and more. Like, I know how, where to find this. I know where to find that. It's absolutely an, an incredible, it's an incredible way to live. Yeah, it's it's very, I find it comforting. Hmm. It's funny, my mom, um, one of her psychiatrists was a very formal man. And one day I see him and he's in like a tracksuit. And I'm thinking, I haven't seen him in a while. He's in a tracksuit. He's walking funny. His back's been out. So I, I started talking to him about it. And he was like, yeah, I just had surgery. And, you know, I said, it doesn't look like you're feeling any better. So I said, listen, I'm going to be back tomorrow. Will you take a bath? He said, yeah, I'll take a bath. I said, I'm going to give you something to put in the tub with you. I filled up a sock, a cotton sock. Um, actually three of them with St. John's wort. You need a lot of it. Put him in the tub with it. He called me back that night going, I didn't tell him what it was. There was no way I was telling a psychiatrist I was giving him St. John's wort because of the ramifications of some people take it for depression. Mm-hmm. Although even internally, traditionally, it's been an anti-inflammatory Okay. for centuries. Anyway, he calls me up that night. This is great. Oh, my God. You know, topically, when you St. John's wort takes the pain message and it stops it from going between the ganglion so you will literally be have your pain which as opposed to your pain pills mm-hmm. which affect your brain these actually affect your nerve endings mm-hmm. and when you take a bath in it you go to the spot that hurt that where it's coming from mm-hmm. not necessarily the spot that hurts mm-hmm. 
which is usually I find two different places. And he was just amazed. He goes, how did you do that? You know, I said, well, you know, I explained that I gave him an herb and what it does. He goes, well, what was that? And I said, St. John's Wort. And the man starts screaming at me. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's screaming at he you? He was so upset. He was so upset. And I was Isn't like. Isn't that bizarre? I said, just helped the guy. I know. That's what I said to him. I said, let's back up. This phone call started with, I feel really good. That helped me. Let's go back there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let's forget about the hey, other part. Me. I didn't didn't give it to you for depression. I don't give it to people for, if somebody is that depressed that they want to take something, they need someone to talk to who's not me. Mm. Um, and he like flipped out, calmed down. Next thing I know, I have a whole bunch of his friends, his wife's pregnant. She gets the <laughs> flu and, you know, it was so funny. He was just like, once he calmed down and I brought him back to, you know, I understand mm. that it's a plant. I understand that you relate this plant to something else, mm. but the proof is you took a bath in it. And you felt better. Mm. So let's just go, let's let's stay there. There's mm. no side effects, you know, no other ramifications mm. to it. You feel better. So he calmed down. Mm. But that's not an unusual. I, I gave it to another neighbor in Jersey. It was a mailman. He fell down some stairs. He went to the hospital. And they were like, you're just sore from falling. And his wife said, do you have anything to help him? And I did the same thing. Mm. I gave him St. John's Wort in a sock. Next day, he's spry and he's mm. walking like he's fine. Mm. And I'm waiting for a thank you because, you know, we obviously helped him. And he also freaked out. He, you know, instead of saying thank you, he asked me if I was a witch. Mm. That's so bizarre. And then he wouldn't let his kids play with my kids anymore. I was like, what Are the you hell? serious? I'm very serious. That's why <laughs> one of the reasons we got out of there. That is so fascinating. Well, so, um, you know, I, I, I keep going, you know, Jung is just like, that's really a way that I've been able to interpret the world is, is the kind of a Jungian system. And it works for, for me and how I kind of see the world. So one thing that Jung thought was that um, the European witch burnings were a basically a masculine, were a, it was a, um, hysteria within men um, projecting their animal. The church. Well, the church, not men, the church. The church was losing its power. It was the church. I totally think it was the church. I don't think men would have done it on their own. Hmm. Well, let me just finish what I was going to say. That is, it is fascinating. But so the thought is that inside of every man, there is um, an archetype called the anima, which is a man's inner feminine. And that can be kind of you know, it can be quite a, a task for a man to get in touch with that inner feminine. It's his contact with creativity, with spirituality, with nature, with um, re with religion or some kind of spirituality, um, with, I think I said it, creativity, um, with interrelational skills with other human beings. Um, and so when the anima is unconscious and demonized, you can very quickly start going around pointing fingers saying that's a witch because because you're projecting outwardly the dark feminine within oneself. Well, I remember my life being burned as a witch. I totally remember the the whole thing, the trial and everything. Can you tell a story? meditation one day I got the message let's let's look back you know so what I was told the instruction I was given is go back seven years 
what were you doing seven years ago? How did you feel? Put yourself in the position. Go back and keep going back seven years, and then at some point, it'll be another life. So when I get to past lives, I can, I look at my hands, and I can see how old I am. And then I look at my, I kind of put myself into my body right before I died. Sometimes I could get in a little further and see what was going on. Sometimes I had one lifetime where I just freaked out and I couldn't even interpret anything. I was just crazed and running around in the woods screaming and that's all I remember. And then something got me and I was dead. So I don't really know what that one was. But this one lifetime, um, I died in a concentration camp my last life. Not in a gas chamber. I was um, on a table. They were experimenting on the Jewish girls because they were trying to figure out how to make more Aryans. They didn't know how babies were made. And I bled out on a metal table. And I knew something was up about concentration camps because I could never... I mean, my aunts and uncles were all in camps. Most of my family came out of... The ones that I got to meet came out of the camps. And um, I actually have a cousin who was born and hidden under the floorboards. Thank God they were liberated pretty quickly. He's totally normal. You would have no idea if you met him now. Um, I don't know. And then you just keep going back seven years. I remember being a Bedouin um, with the Jews going through the desert and thinking, this was my best life. I mean, I remember looking around. I had a beautiful family. I felt like I accomplished a lot. And I was so happy. And I could see my hands were pretty wrinkly. So I must have been pretty old. And that was a a pretty happy life. Um, I remember, oh, this is going to sound really strange. I was from um, Lemuria. I was this, when I came into this planet, this this sphere of influence, I was, um, came in through this orange ray. And I was this owl, like a giant owl teacher. Like, And it's funny because that's my totem, is that we have lots of owls that live here too. And I was being experimented on by the, um, oh, what was this? The Atlantis. Yeah, the Atlanteans were doing experiments. And um, they gave me lots of exams. They ripped my wings off. And they buried me under some rocks in a tunnel. And I remember laying there in this tunnel beyond pain just like knowing that I was going to die really soon and just hoping that my tribe my 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 acolytes whatever I, I was a teacher and I had a big following I was waiting for hoping that they could find me to know that in the end I was okay and this, somebody moved the rock on the cave and they came in and saw me and then I closed my eyes and died and it's funny because as a child I always loved having my back in the shower because I could feel like I had wings that were getting wet. I always felt like I had wings. That's never gone away. And until I remembered that lifetime, um, it didn't make sense. So somehow I've had a connection to the earth for many, many lifetimes. Although I don't think I had a lot of human lives here, but you know, I've watched things. I didn't get all the lifetimes at once, you know, because once you get to one and you see your death, it's pretty intense. You know, and it takes a little bit of processing and, you know, getting my blood pressure back down. Because you, you actually, I enter the emotional state that I was at. So if I was freaked out, I'm still freaked out. You know, to look around to a community that I did nothing but help. I helped babies be born. I helped set bones. I helped, you know, people wound care. All kinds of stuff. I helped people die gracefully, you know, the way they wanted, all that kind of stuff. And for the community to turn around and kill me for this because they were told to, 
It just was horrible. It took me a long time to recover from that. I'd rather not go too far into it because it's actually still pretty painful to me and I still cannot identify with the term witch. It, it still brings up a negative connotation. But I remember while I was chained as they're getting the fires ready, um, asking my neighbors, I helped you with this, I helped you. When did I hurt anybody? How did I, how did I hurt anybody? All I did was help. And I was told, the church is making us do this. The church wants its power back. You have too much power here. We, we listen to you. We trust you. And you're what the church told us. You're not good. And we need to be with God, not you. The concentration camp one, I think I was like in Poland. I was walking with a group of my friends and we saw the Nazis. And I, I went and got the attention so that my friends could be free. And so they all got away, and I was the one who went into, you know, got experimented on and whatnot. And so one day I was watching, Oprah went to um, Auschwitz with Elie Wiesel. And Elie Wiesel was from the same town as my grandfather. And um, I have goosebumps, I'm like ready to throw up, and I just feel like I need to watch this for some reason. And then they go to this building and they were like, it, it just it was getting more and more intense. They said, oh, this is where Dr. Mengele did his experiments. And then they went outside, and there was this wall, and that's when I threw up, because that's where they would kill people. They would stand them at this wall and shoot them, and they would make us watch. And I remembered it just before Wuzel said, and this is what happened here. Like, I just knew it right before he said it. And that was validation. I, I asked for validation a bunch of times because, like, am I crazy or is this coming from a greater truth? So I asked for validation. It used to say confirmation, but now I say validation. Like, am I, in fact, remembering this? So at one point, one of my guides said, there is no, imagination is just remembering from someplace else. So to make it more intense, um, I had fibroids in this life. So this is my life after that. A fibroid is a growth in your uterus. So I have these fibroids. I've been working with them energetically to try to remove them from my body. And I did end up having three children. And after that, they got really bad. And um, I was able to rid myself of two of them, but the other one was just too big. And the message that I got was, you got to have your, 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 your uterus is still feeling the trauma from your life before. But because of what you did saving all those other women, you got to have your children. So I'm like so beyond stunned. Um, that's literally one of the most amazing things anyone's ever told me. I mean, I, I literally, I had chills from the crown to the bottom of my feet, through my arms, through my hands. That's, to me, validation. Like, when your body does that. stuff like that, then that's how that. you know that there's a truth there. I believe that. I trust when I am brought to tears, when tears flood my eyes out of nowhere, when my hair stand up on my legs, when I get chills in my head, like, I know that something of unbelievable profundity is happening. Yeah. And that is, this is so fucking real. Now, um, I am so fascinated by the concept of reincarnation. Um, something that you said there that 
really intrigued me is you've told me are you're of the Jewish faith now or a Jewish in some way, shape, or form. So culturally I was, Jewish. I'm culturally Jewish. So, I was but, raised Jewish. So my guides have also told me that eight the Jewish bloodline is one of the oldest continuing bloodlines on the planet. Um, there must be something else to it because five civilizations have tried to wipe out Jews and, you know, the Nazis were just the last ones. Mm -hmm. My kids say Jewish holidays are, you know, they try to kill us, they didn't, let's eat. Mm -hmm. It's a good reason to eat. So, um, so, so, but what I'm saying is in the, in your past life regression, there's, it's obvious that you're reincarnating through a Jewish line. But I have it, yeah. So, they tell me I'm not really Jewish because I've just popped into the Jewish line because that was the first civilization that acknowledged there is only one God. Hmm. And so, I related to that, but hmm. I, in fact, am not a Jew. Hmm. So, um, it's interesting when um, that guy, Dr. Gates, who does the genealogy, when you see him do genealogy on, on Jewish people, mm -hmm. that's their bloodline. You won't find other stuff in there that Jews are Jews. Mm -hmm. It's pretty in, – until until you choose to leave. Mm -hmm. Until you choose to leave, so. <clears throat> I really want to try some of this, the reincarnation meditation that you've been talking about. I know I've talked about it on the podcast a little bit. Um, there was a movie that came out a few years ago that was about, like, fur trappers out west, and uh, within – seconds of watching the movie my whole body was shaking and i felt this primal scream like coming out of my stomach and i thought i needed to run out of the movie theater it was while a tribe i can't remember which tribe is um descending into this trapper village and slaughtering everybody and they're getting into a battle the two groups and i was absolutely about to have a panic attack and i was like i've been here yeah. i just got chills on my arms i've been here and you know driving into the cherokee reservation yesterday two mornings ago interviewing um, a cultural ambassador, Sonny, incredible. But as I was driving into the reservation, I felt like tears coming on. Um, I actually wept at, at the waterfall after I talked to Sonny. So it's like, I do feel like I have some perhaps past conflict with Native Americans that I'm trying to just figure out. Um, you know, I'm so intrigued by that history. I'm really intrigued by both sides, by the Native American side and by the settlers and colonists. I, I'm so enamored mm -hmm. by that whole world that I know, I, well, I don't know, but I have an intense feeling that I've got something in there that I'm trying to figure out. Probably. So here's one even to take it the next step. I've already been asked to come back. So what's my purpose? We all want to know, you know, what's my purpose? Why am I here? So my purpose for this life um, besides for creating three great kids, um, is to help the earth transition into this fifth dimension. And the way I'm doing it is through the plants. So in my garden, I have um, consecutive, they wanted 13 consecutive circles. I've been able to get eight. It's a little bit hard for me to just even keep up that. But I'm having my head one day, I'll have a lot of help and we'll get 13 circles. The middle of the garden is a vortex. And um, so every day I go and I meditate before I do my gardening in the middle and I get my instructions, you know, what to do. So I was asked to come back into my, you know, the next life pretty quickly to help the earth some more. But what I was told was that I will not have to go through some of the basic lessons again, that I will have my memories. Um, not so much my memories of my kids and my loved ones, but my memories of 
the tools that I have in working with the earth and helping it and teaching people how to be more respectful, you know, um, how to be regenerative farmers, you know, how to not till, how to work with the earth to get the most out of it, you know, and to help the earth. When you garden circles, it makes a chakra space for the earth. So it helps the earth have some joy in, in life in living and growing and in, in being. And there's actually a whole bunch of us around the planet that are doing this. And um, so I just thought it was interesting. So not only am I getting information on my past lives, but I'm being told it's going to be a little bit easier on you the next time. You're not going to have to make the same mistakes. And so you said two things. They? Who are they? Spirit guides? Spirit or, guides. I don't have a special name for them. Mm -hmm. um, I just... I feel things as vibrations, and when I line up my energy vibrationally, I can hear a little bit clearer. So I don't, I get more pictures than words. Hmm. It's not like I get, it's not an instruction manual, but I'll, you know, I'll have a picture and I'll, I'll count, there's 13 rings. Wow, that's pretty big, you know? Hmm. <laughs> um, and as soon as I start to have doubts about what I'm giving, it goes away. So it's, it's hard to hold. Hmm. Again, it's, it's a different space than I'm used to. Like hmm. when I, when I came here and I felt something here. Um, so if I'm spending too much time in the gardens and I haven't been in the woods, they'll haunt my sleep. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll hear trees in the woods calling me, or there's actually a being called the Lord of the Forest. So each forest will have like a king and a queen, you know, whenever you'll, I'll usually be able to find them. And the Lord of the Forest was like, You've been ignoring us. You know, you have to come here in the summer, not just the winter. In the winter, I hear on the on the the sun cultivation stuff, you're not down here anymore. How come you're not here? You know, they get jealous of each other with with uh, where my attentions are supposed to be. It's really kind of funny. What are what is it? What it, is this king? Um, it's just is that just the, a way to speak about some kind of like it, it's it's what that they. Somewhere along the line, somebody gave me that term. I don't know who exactly. But some kind of like... Some kind um, of a mystery? supervisor, you know, some kind of head energy, mm. you know, like in charge of the forest and looking out for it. Mm. He just, it's a he and he calls himself Lord of the Forest. Mm. And then, you know, and then you wonder where all these mythologies come from, Green Man, you know, things like that. Yeah. Well, you know, from, it must be from intuiting Exactly what you're talking about, King of the Forest. You know, I'm nobody special. If I can figure this stuff out, I mean, I would think that people just need to figure out how they interpret. Not everybody interprets it, you know, the way I do. Some people hear clear voices. Some people see things. Um, it just everybody has their own way. You just have to hmm. sort of, I would just notice what I was noticing as opposed to you know, my mind is open. I feel things differently than when I'm walking around just being busy and not mm. paying attention. Now, you also said preparing for the fifth dimension. What the hell is that? So, there are several realms. There's, I believe, 13 different realms. And then um, we all come to the... Let me back up. So, the Earth itself is a special planet. Um, and pe beings come here from other planets. The point of the Earth, the creation of the Earth, was supposed to be a place for beings to um, get into their passion. 
so in a positive way. I mean, if your passion is killing people, no, but, you know, gardening, painting, drawing, whatever that passion is, that's what the earth is supposed to be for. And somewhere along the line, stuff got here that was very negative that's being chased out. And one of the reasons that things look so dismal, if you look at politics and whatnot, is because this is the end of a shift. Which is exactly what my Jungian analyst keeps talking about, how that we're moving from the Piscean age to the age of Aquarius and how it will be about an age of love. And that's not some corny Hallmark shit. No, it means like, heart space. And love for your life, for your passion, love for creativity, a, 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 an existence of creativity. That's what the planet's for. And I'm also been told that, and their timing is terrible because in these other realms, there is no time. So when they try to give us time, it doesn't always, it doesn't usually work. But I'm told that within at most 200 years, there might be a billion people on this planet right now. Um, what, what I was told was that, um, so there's different realms. There's, you know, the fifth dimension, sixth, seventh, eighth. Manifesting in each dimension is different, and it gets much easier. Um, and what's happening is um, people aren't learning their lessons. I was specifically told by Archangel Gabriel that the system of karma is dead. It didn't work. It's not in effect. It's been given up on. If you go into the fifth dimension, sixth dimension, you'll see lots of airplanes and yachts and all the fancy stuff, You know, because you think about it, and there it is. And that because beings aren't learning their lessons – that um, God's shifting his par the paradigm. I, I give God the he distinction more because that's the way I was trained growing up, not because I really think he's a guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just wanted to say that. Of course, of course. Um, but so the earth, this dimension and this, this earth is very, an easy place for God to take beings off of to go somewhere else. It's harder to get them off of the sixth, seventh, eighth dimension. To, so, God led a lot of beings here right now onto this planet that aren't necessarily supposed to be here. And when we see these horrible events like, you know, the church bus had an accident and, you know, 30 people died, that's basically God taking these people somewhere else. They're not letting, he's not letting them go back to their, their home dimension and place. He's taking them somewhere else to go through lessons. And that's why we're so crowded right now. I don't know. I mean, this is all stuff you've just intuited. This is just stuff that, yeah, that, you know, in, in it just either dreams or, I mean, the more I meditate, the more it comes to me while I'm meditating. Cause it, I mean, I'm, this is, it's been very hard to learn to meditate without falling asleep mm. for me personally. So my version of meditation is gardening. So I'll sit in the garden and just be very present to what I'm doing. And then that's when they come in. You know, I, I breathe very rhythmically. Uh, the motions tend to be rhythmic. You know, I'm I'm just looking at the plant or the, you know, do I need to weed here? Do am I picking this, that? And it's rote. It's very rote, but I'm in the moment and it just gets me somewhere else. I can't just sit still necessarily and meditate. I usually have to do something. Um, when I get into the garden in the morning and I go into the middle of the circle and I have a bench and I sit there. And I take my root and I take it down into the earth. And somewhere deep down, there's a rock that I tie the root, you know, tie it to. And then I um, I spiral the energy up and I run through my chakra. And I spend time in each chakra. How you doing today? You know, what's going on? And then I go up out through my crown 
and I take the energy to my higher self. And I ask my higher self to take it, because I'm not conscious of where it's supposed to be, take it to where it needs to. And I keep spiraling. And, you know, with the in-breath, I spiral one way. With the out-breath, I spiral the other. I think on the out-breath, I go down counterclockwise, and in, I go clockwise, and I go up. So I believe that's what I'm doing. Um, and then things come to me. That, that That's when I get my gardening instructions, like which role am I supposed to work on, and, you know, what am I supposed to be doing? Um, my oldest daughter was working with me here for a while and she spent years being a server at high-end restaurants and things. And, you know, every day you have the same thing. You come in and you do this and this and this. And I was driving her crazy because every day was different here. And finally, I said, well, if you woke up earlier and you sat and meditated with me, you'd see the process. But, you know, you come in at the last minute just waiting for instructions. So it's taken her a couple of years to get used to that. But they've been, my kids have been through enough weird things with me that nothing surprises them anymore. Um, so what, from these intuitions and meditations and contact with the mysteries, what is going on? You've talked about that we're here to learn lessons, but what is going on with this process of reincarnation? Do we die? Have you gotten any information on, do we die, go to some like, bardo realm or some kind of like cosmic soup that we're up there for a while and then wait to be dropped down into a new body do we follow family lines do we stay in will philippe my last name willis my dad's side do i keep coming in the willises or do i bounce all over the planet you know one day a white one day black one day indian one day um you know native american one day guatemala you know, are you moving, you know, do you have any information on that? Because I have watched an extremely convincing program um, about the afterlife. It just came out on Netflix called Surviving Death. And they did an episode about reincarnation where they go and visit children who are saying all this stuff from that seems like so bizarre. Where is this information coming from? And, you know, it's not going, you know, it doesn't appear that it's moving just through your family. There's a kid who, you know, um, you know, was a black kid in the last life. You know, you're just moving all over the world, which is quite beautiful because that can really make us realize that we all we all are connected to everything. I don't know. Do you have any anything to say? So it's my understanding that when we pass, we well my knowledge comes from let me back up. I was seven years old, I contracted encephalitis. And that's um, a virus, I had a virus of my central brain. Meningitis is the outer brain, encephalitis is the inner brain. So my inner brain swelled. And what it felt like to me was like a migraine in every cell. Like all of my senses were heightened. I couldn't handle light, I couldn't handle movement, sound drove me crazy, everything hurt. So I found a way to breathe deeply and get a rhythm to it, and I could deal with that. Until my mom said, we have to go to the hospital and see your cousin, who was a uh, neurosurgeon at the time. And I, I just going down the stairs and getting in the cab, was it was too much pain. I left my body. You know, they picked me up and carried me. My mom didn't drive, my dad wasn't home, so she just got a cab and... I don't know who, somebody just carried me because I couldn't walk. I left my body because there was too much pain. So I found like if I breathed rhythmically, 
I can um, detach. So I'm in two parts now. My consciousness is above my body and my body is laying on a bed. So I didn't feel the hurt. The body hurt too much. So somehow my brain figured out if I left my consciousness, left my body, I wouldn't feel the hurt. And I watched them do tests on me. Um, I watched people come into the hospital room with me. Um, I, tr- I traveled astrally. Like, um, I mean, again, I was seven, so things were black or white, you know, good or bad. And um, I was an Orthodox Jew at the time. So, of course, I went to Israel and I went to the wall and I went to all these places, you know, that I had studied. I remember going to Paris. I remember going to Madrid. And a couple, you know, I went to Egypt. I went to school astrally. I was in a coma for 10 days. Um, I was brought back three times. I stopped breathing three times. I guess I was trying. I don't remember the other side stopping breathing. Um, I'm suspecting that it was more of I got involved with something and stopped paying attention to the body. If somebody came to the room and physically touched me, like rubbed my hand. People don't usually just hold your hand. They would rub my hand or something. My consciousness would come back into the hospital room. I would see he was visiting me. But I would go home with my parents and I would, you know, see what my brother was up to. And um, one of the reasons I came back, the main reason I came back is because my whole family couldn't stop crying. And I knew if I came back, they'd stop crying. That's what brought me back. And I remember, um, I forgot kind of about this. And then years later, it came back to me. When I had my second kid, I was working really hard, taking care of my parents, you know, and my kid. Life was tough. I took off an afternoon. I went to this park. And I'm thinking, rocks are really old. Rocks have got to be smart. If I could slow down enough, you know, sit with a rock to hear it, you know, I bet... I can figure this all out. So I went to sit with this boulder one afternoon and this whole thing flooded back to me. And I remember having a life review. Like when I was a kid, there was only black and white TV. So it was like a black and white movie. And I I remember beating up the neighborhood bully. I had found her. She took my brother's pants down and she was hitting him with a stick and it flipped me out. And I beat the crap out of her. And in the life review was, wait a minute, you, there's a whole group of us that came in together and there were certain lessons that we decided we're going to come into the earth now. These are the lessons we want to learn. And we kind of planned some of it. So I didn't specifically plan with Elisa to beat the crap out of her, but I, th- that was part of something that I had to learn something about my power. She needed to learn something about hers. But to learn how much of this was pre-planned was awesome. Um, because in the end result is there's no guilt. There's only lessons being learned. You know, and that was a huge thing. That stuck with me for a long time. I was being given um, the choice. Do I want to come back or not? Um, another interesting part of this, um, I'm going to get back to the choice in a minute. So there's a male, everybody to me looked old, but I'm thinking they were probably in their 30s because, again, I was seven. There was a male figure next to me that was incredible energy didn't see a face he had a hood on and there was a woman behind me holding space and somehow I knew you know like I was talking to the guy but not the woman she was just sitting there years later I come to find out that that was Archangel Michael and that was Mother Mary behind me 
And as a Jew, they had to explain to me who they were. <laughs> I didn't, you know, years later I had to figure it because I didn't know. I was learning Reiki and I'm being told that the grandmasters come in and help you. And I'm thinking, no, these are the beings that were helping me in the coma. They stayed with me, you know. When I came out of the coma, I could touch people and they'd feel better, but I would get sick. So I studied Reiki and that helped. But back to being given a choice. So while I was in the coma, I'm having this life review. After the life review, you know, Archangel Michael and I are having this little chat, like he was my big brother, you know. And we would talk, we would analyze each episode, um, the part that I played in it, how much had been decided beforehand, how this was my soul group and we were all helping each other. Um, and at the end of it, he goes, and now it's up to you. You can, you, you can go back to your old life. It'll be different. But, you know, you can go back or you can stay, you know, you can stay here and, you know, go back to your, it's my understanding that we have like a home base. So I'm not sure exactly where mine is, but like say the fifth or sixth dimension is where you hang out in between having lives. I'm sure we have lives in other places besides the earth. I mean, I can't imagine that we must have lives on other planets. What was remember the movie Contact? If this is the only place that has life, what a waste of space. You know, there's got to be. I, I think that I'm convinced there is. I'm pretty sure. I'm Wherever my home base. So you hang out there. Um, and then when I guess you make like an application, I want to come to Earth. This is what I want to do. And certain, you know, people, not everybody wants to come here is let in here all the time. So there's like a cycle of it. Afterwards, when we leave, we process our life. Like, what did, what, what did I learn? You know, I freeze certain activities on my head and I go, I can't wait for the life review to figure out what this was really about because, you know, this just didn't make sense. Why did this happen? Um, so there's certain things I'm looking forward to understanding at a deeper level. So you go through, I almost want to say a re-indoctrination period, but it's it, like a reorientation, you know, a woman at you're alive, like say you're an old lady, or you have aches and pains, and the next minute you're you're awake and you're looking around and you realize, you know, I feel pretty good. You know, there's you know, I don't have my aches and pains, so there's the time to process all of that. So I was told um, it's going to be hard if you choose to come back. You know, I could do whatever I wanted, totally up to me, no consequences either way. It's fine if I do. It's fine if I don't my choice if you come back if you want to come back into your body it's going to take years you're not going to be yourself right away you're going to have to learn things all over again but just know no matter what the, the adults say to you you're going to be fine just give it some time it's going to take time um, when I open my eyes my doctor who was also my cousin and my grandmother and my mom are in the room you know crying as anybody would be when they saw my eyes open and he's saying put her on a feeding tube you have to put her in an institution this is the best she's going to be you know people don't get better from this it just doesn't happen my grandmother smacked him took me home with her literally put me on the floor of the garden the next day and had my hands in the dirt and she got me out of that wheelchair within six months no physical therapy or anything she just did it she would like push my legs and, and work with me. I was pulled out of classes. I was in special ed classes. I had all my thoughts, but I couldn't communicate them. And I would say it's kind of like a stroke victim who thinks they're talking and in their head they're talking, but what's coming out isn't language. That's kind of where I was at. I had to just totally 
relearn everything, how to pick up my arm, you know, you name it. The interesting part was years later when, when uh, we're having a Passover Seder at my doctor cousin's house and I leave the table to go in the living room to nurse my second one who is now 31 and he stops the Seder and he's crying. He goes, I can't believe what I'm looking at. And one of the things that I remembered, and I told him about this, I said, do you remember that meeting you had? And I described this room, it was at Montefiore Hospital, and there was an orange chair rail, and the chairs were orange, and over here was a table with a coffee pot. And you were pacing, there was a guy sitting at the table, and you were pacing, you were waiting to my cousin, you're waiting for somebody else, and you're really excited to see him. And then this guy, this guy walks in, he's wearing a turban, and he's talking to you, and you're crying and then you went picked up the coffee pot and threw it across the room and my cousin froze he was like how would you know that you were not not only weren't you in the room you weren't even in that building and I said yeah I used to travel you know I went to different places and I went to school I didn't want to be left back you know I went to school and did my lessons I watched my class make me greeting cards you know, get well cards. And when I woke up, I'm thinking, well, how come there's only two of them on the wall? The whole class did. And once I could talk again, I remember telling my mom, you know, what happened to the cards? Because it always bothered me that the other cards didn't make it. Never found out what happened to them. you have any intuitions on what is going on for those that seem to people who might be blocked in their lesson learning? Say, do you have any intuitions on what's going on with someone who's trapped in brutal drug addiction or someone who um, just spends their life on a, at a very surface level, just consumed by television and, you know, the normal, normal, just day-to-day work life? And do you have any intuitions on things like that there's beings here that are not quite as intellectual or as smart there's like elementals and there's beings that are like have been animals before and are just trying out a human body and i'm sure there's a million different answers to that um i mean my husband is a recovering drug addict he's clean 38 years now, you know, how did that happen? How did he do that and others can't? Mm. You know, I just think there's a whole bunch of people. So I own a small self-storage business, and there's some people who are just pack rats. And I wonder if in other lives they really are animals who just have a lot of stuff around them, you know? I, I think there's beings here that just aren't intellectual. They're just not so. So, to- so maybe this is your first round of human incarnation and you were an animal and last. So you, you perhaps you're running more on an instinctual animal level as you're trying to understand what it is to be a human. Right. I also think there's a bunch of dark hearts here right now. Mm. I think there's, a, I'm not sure what their story is, where they're from, but there's a bunch of really dark hearts. Dark arts or hearts. dark heart? Hearts. I would point to someone like Putin mm. right now. That is a very dark heart mm. doing some serious damage. Mm. You know, there's other dark hearts. 
Um, I'm very interested in talking to people about things like magic and whatnot. And um, I'm very extremely cautious with stuff like that. I'm extremely fearful. Mm. Um, to be extremely honest, I'm very fearful of the mysteries. So um, I've never really dabbled much with psychedelics. I've probably only smoked pot like 10 times because I have absolute visions. And um, I've only done a little bit with once a tiniest amount of shrooms. I'm very scared of maybe losing my mind completely because I feel like I am quite sensitive. Um, you know, nightmares can really rock me. Um, haunted places can really rock me. Um, I'm very scared of opening mysteries that are too powerful for me that would destroy me. So I'm, you know, scared of uh, a lot. So um, I'm very interested when I explore things like magic, talking to people, but I'm extremely suspicious and cautious because some of it seems very powerful and dark and I don't want to invite things that could trick me and be very dark and powerful. Um, but something I've been thinking about recently as I talk to people who are into magic and stuff like that, and you're talking about these dark hearts is, and you talked about your um, experience with your cousin in the hospital is, um, you know, we just got this house from a, uh, two people, maybe about your age. Um, they, they have a bigger farm, but right as we got our house, the wife, um, our, our now friend, Karen, she had just been diagnosed with a terminal illness. Turns out she does not have that illness, but for a few months, a doctor had told her you're going to die. And, and she waited weeks and weeks to tell her daughters she wanted it to be the right time. You know, our new friend, um, he, you know, her husband is having to process, I'm going to be living out the next few decades without my wife. How, how is our home life going to work? So we met them in this process of Im immense um, sorrow. And to me, I'm like, that's black magic. You just cursed somebody. A doctor gave, if someone says you're going to die, and you and all of your family believe that that is that not a curse? You've been and because so often people do die when they're told you're gonna die. Do you know? I think the most important lesson to learn and the hardest lesson to learn is discernment. Hmm. Discernment, because you it's very hard to get your emotions out of the way and learn to read something. So I work with pendulums, and that's been a huge lesson. The information, you know, um, where's it coming from? Is, is this the answer I want or is this the answer? Um, and as far as – I used to worry a lot about that because, like I said, I would touch people and they could feel better. And well, I can thought, you describe that? You've only said that to me. You haven't really said it on a podcast. I'm sorry. So after the coma, I could – it was like a magnet. I could just touch people and I'd feel a zap, they'd feel a zap, and they'd feel better and I'd get sick. So I thought, well, because everything's in balance, then when I – work in the light, then there's a price to pay to the dark. And I have since learned that that's bullshit. Okay. Okay, not true. Um, I'm not afraid of the dark anymore. I am just ensconced in the light. I work with this system. I work with nature as an intelligent partner. So for me, um, nature is a being that I can talk to. And um, like with my gardening, ah. When I met you, I lost my my phone, my wallet. For like right? two days. Right? I lost it. I'm sorry if that was something in me. No, that no, did no, that. no, no. But I I left it on top of the mower, whatever. Um, but anyway, so when I work with nature, there are these triangles that get things done. So there's me, there's um 
there's the Davic realm that hold the blueprints to everything. And then there's the nature spirit realm, which are the the, the worker bees as headed by Pan, you know, that flip oh, point. Oh, yes. I literally just did a podcast with someone, an herb, a folk herbalist who is very much a devotee of Pan. So anyway, so I opened a coning. Well, it's called a coning. So I connected to my higher self. What is that, coning? The coning is just a grouping. I put a grouping together. So it's me. Um, and I also included in this because I was freaked out because it was my phone and my wallet, this group called the White Brotherhood. White as in being white light, not white as in black, you know, people. <laughs> but um, I refer to them as the White Brotherhood. So and then I attached to Pan and I asked to be attached to the appropriate entities from the David realm. Can you describe what the David realm is? Not only for the uh, listeners, but for me. Um, no, I just accept it as something okay. that is. I don't question that. I don't really, that's all I could tell you about it. Um, I should know more, but I'm really bad about it. It's from a company called Paralandra, P-E-R-E-L-A-N-D-R-A. And Michelle Wright Small writes about this, and it's her system. And I, so I asked to be connected to the appropriate entities in the David realm, knowing I had the White Brotherhood, so it was only going to be, the David realm was only white and, and positive and good, to help me manifest that phone wallet. That you know, mm. It's coming back to me. And I said, quickly, you know, like mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. um, and I just trusted that that, my wallet was coming back to me. I didn't even think, well, you know, what did I have in there? What do I need to replace? My husband's like that. He's sitting there going freaking out. And I was like, calm down. It's going to show up. Mm -hmm. Showed up the next day. Mm -hmm. It did show up the next day. Mm -hmm. um, so some people would call that magic. Mm -hmm. I would call that manifesting. Mm -hmm. You know, would it, would it have been found anyway if I didn't do that? I don't know, but mm. the other thing is once you start to work in this realm and get instructions, like, you know, put a, put rings on the garden, mm -hmm. you know, plant this plant here and this one there, when you, when you ask for instructions and don't follow through, because, mm -hmm. you know, I'm the physical doer from this grouping, so if I don't physically do it, it doesn't get done, um, they play games with me. You know, they'll they'll totally play games with me. And I have learned the hard way. No, you know, if you don't want to know the answer, don't ask. If you're not going to do what they say, don't ask. If you're not prepared to, you know, follow through, skip it. You know, I've I've um had things disappear on me and not show up again. And mm. I mean nothing too terrible, nothing life or death, but um I, I, do I think, think it's also respectful if you're gonna, you mm. know, I look at these being they look at me as being an equal in this realm, but I still think of myself as the newbie, mm. you know, and I, it's my job to listen to them. I, this is what needs to be done. You tell me how, mm. you know, they don't, they don't usually say, well, you need to do this and this and that. Usually I, I'm the one, I'm always the one who, who begins the conversation. Mm. Um, and then I, you have to remember to disconnect from all these beings too. Cause for me, I, f I feel their energies. So when I hold energies of that kind of vibration for too long, I get super tired. Mm. You know, and it's taken me years to be able to hold these energies for a couple of hours. Mm. At first, it was minutes. Mm. It's it's taken me a good few years. And I have a teacher who helps me too mm. with this. Um, I have um, been thinking about, you know, again, I, I'm really. I'm just looking at the time, like 10 minutes. Okay. Um, I've been very much into the Jungian perspective. So, you know, Jung coined this term synchronicities, which is a meaningful, a meaningful 
um, coincidence. So it's not a coincidence, but, and, and, but you instantaneously know it has meaning. I think there's a form of magic to following those kind of like what you're saying. Like when you get the message, you got to do what these, these things are saying. Well, the more you do it, the closer the communication, you know, right. the easier it becomes also. Right. Um, even this podcast, I feel like, you know, there was so much tension with even creating this podcast and like, to, you know, you're saying we got to wrap it up now. This like, you know, I just was following synchronicities. I followed the synchronicity to camp in your, uh, where am I going to camp? Where am I going to camp? I need a place to stay. You know, I, you know, I'm looking at the, the online, whatever hip camp, trying to figure out where to stay. I pick this one within one second. We're texting about how we know different people in the forest farming world. The second I get here, you start sharing some of this information. Like this conversation is honestly probably been one of the most mind blowing conversations I've ever had in my life. And mm -hmm. I think what is so powerful as I'm trying to reflect on everything we've just been talking about is that you're so grounded because if you had said all of the same information, but your temperament was a little bit more, you know, just to be stereotypical, new agey and kind of flying around, it would be, it would be much harder for me to, to feel like, to really feel that everything you're saying is an unbelievable truth. Like I truly feel mm -hmm. like, and I don't know how you're going to feel about me saying this, but I really feel like I'm in the presence at least for this conversation of like an oracle. I mean, the things you've said today have like absolutely blown me away. You know, it's funny that you said that. So I had a fire for my 65th birthday this winter. Um, and it's funny, it was pouring out. It's pouring out. One of the things I do is I work with the weather. And so I, I asked, I said, look, I'm having this celebration tonight. I need it to stop raining. And a couple of my friends didn't come because they thought it was raining so hard. But the ones who knew me well went, eh, she'll take care of it. And sure enough, in time to set up for the, the gathering, you know, put some food out, it stopped raining. And then I'm talking about the moon, and I'm saying, you know, it's a full moon, it's too bad it's not out. The clouds parted, and they went the moon. <laughs> and my daughter, who was there with me, goes, yeah, and you're not a witch. You're talking about the moon, and the, it's, it's been gone for two days, and now you talk about it, and here it is. And you don't think that's because you were talking about it. Are we in some form of simulation? No. No. No? You mean like the Matrix? Well, just how you just said that. It's like, are we, a game is a stupid word for saying it, but are we in some kind of game? So, like you could play with your, you could play with existence. Oh, I do play with it. And it opened it. up. Well, yeah, you know, it rained for three days. You know, I had my other daughter's wedding and, and we had all this family coming out here. And one of the gifts I give to people when I find out they're having an outdoor wedding is like five months ahead of time. So you know, that's great. But it's really not that hard to make sure a day is clear for a wedding or a special celebration or something like that. Mm. Um, what I didn't think of last week was to clear it out a few days before, so we were in the mud. Ah, setting <laughs> but up in the mud. It was nice, <laughs> for, you know. So I, I didn't think about that. Um, I mean, part of us, if everything is energy, you know, and everything is a vibration, then the trick is to line up with what you're trying to affect. Or affect. Mm. Um, and I just found the weather to be pretty easy. Mm. So when we had this flood last summer, you know, um, normally when a storm comes, I do that kind of, you know, that, mm. and I do a protection. First year I planted hemp, we had 20 inches of rain the first two weeks. We dropped a 120 foot red oak tree right onto the hemp field with like 1,500 hemp plants. Mm. And I still have pictures of the plants coming up between the branches. Mm. My partners freaked out. We lost one half of one plant mm. from that. So the storm last year, I was like, okay, do I need to do 
a protection. And I was told, no, you know, it, whatever needs to be is going to be. And in 10 minutes, the water came out 200 feet from the creek. And, like, my gardens are underwater. And I'm like, what the hell? Mm. And they said it needed to be. Mm. It needed to be. You know, they didn't want me interfering in that. So, you got to respect, you know. Mm-hmm. If if you want other beings to do what you want, then you've got to do what they want to. Mm. You know, just be respectful. But it's funny what you're saying about being grounded. So, when I'm in the hippie world, I'm looked at as kind of straight. And I totally don't fit into the straight world anymore. You know, people in the straight world look at me like, huh? <laughs> you know? No, but I think this is very, extremely important. So I'm walking my own path. But I'm, that, that's you know, what no, I think. No is, one's path is, it, no, there isn't another path that fits me. But that's what, I'm, that's what I'm feeling is extremely important because the way you've spoken this is so grounded that it can, this, this, these ideas that are so immense can be communicated to a straighter world. You know, like hearing you saying this to me is, I feel it so much more than if you were really um, floating around. Oh, so the reason I was telling about the party is because um, it was very hard for me to hear the positive things that my friends were saying. Like they would tell me what knowing me has meant to them. Mm. And the one thing that I heard over and over and over again, um, and from my interns is, we really think you're going to be remembered. You know, we learned a lot from you, and we think that you're going to be remembered past your lifetime. Like, this place here is going to, Greenheart, is going to be something. You know, a place for learning, you know, which would fill my heart. I mean, Mm. if people could learn to, you know, farm sustainably and work with the plants and learn the plants on an energetic level Mm. and be healing. You know, I used Mm. to work with homeless vets here. It was amazing to see how great they did, but Mm. I'm not a vet and I couldn't get any grants, and we Mm. were... We were running out of our own money, <laughs> you know. Okay. Uh, that would be delightful. You know, it, it would be really nice to be remembered, but I would rather that the teachings be remembered, that I leave a, a, a bunch of people who can work through space and time with respect to nature. Okay, in closing, while you're on that note, can you just say where can people find your classes, your your um herbal products, any, your education, et cetera. Could you just... Okay. Oh, thank you. Um, I have a, a website for the farm called Green Heart Gardens with an S, WNC.com for Western North Carolina. My product line is called Herb Mama, and uh, my tagline is Mama Grows Best. It's cute. Um, and that's Herb Mama with two M's, M-A-M-M-A.com. My class schedule is on there, and so are the products that I make and people can, you know, laureate or mama.com um, will get me an email. Um, I, I do consults also uh, for people. We do tours. We're going to do class in making, uh, learning about herbs. Uh, we're going to do some fun classes. Also, we're going to make herbal smudge sticks this summer. Nice. We're going to make flower crowns, things like that. We're, so we'll, we'll have. And, and if someone wants to come camp. Um, for camping, we're on hip camp. HIP camp as Greenheart, I think Woods and I don't even know. My husband set it up. And if you want to, yeah, someone. But we're on Hip Camp in in the Asheville area, and our campsites are very private. People are completely separated. You you know you won't know we're here. We won't know you're here, Mm. other than maybe just greeting you. I don't even. I meet. I'd say about half the campers. Some people just Mm. come and go, and I don't even meet them. Mm. But it's secluded. It's private. Um, it's, Incredible view of these big mountains right here. Yeah, it's very, very peaceful. Um, also, we have fireflies. Oh, 
the fireflies in the meadow were stunning when I'd look out of my tent at like two or three in the morning. They came back. They died because one of my neighbors who's left sprayed all kinds of stuff. Really? And they have a two-year gestation. And really? And it's taken like 10 years to get them back. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So it is very peaceful here. Yes, extremely. I slept on the creek and it was like I was in another world. I would come in and out of sleep not knowing if it was raining, not knowing where I was, like in the stream, you know. We have a lot of little people here. So like for my ginseng, if I don't tell the little people that I'm bringing someone and tell them who, there's days when I've not been able to find my own ginseng. They hide it. Well, I also leave them gifts. I leave them honey and chocolate, and I leave them crystals and things. <laughs> so they guard. Wow. Because they, they're they entitled to their pay, too. Now, are you talking about what people would consider, like, the fae? Like, fairies? Yeah. Fair, well, not just fairies. Gnomes? There's all different kinds of beings in the other realms. We actually have a fairy circle here, mm. where the trees fell and made, like, a circle. and. Mm. I, every year I go in in the winter and I clean out all the extra sticks and things mm. and you know I clean it up and I had, there's a little altar and I put more crystals out for them mm. and and things. So we also have a spot here that's totally out of um, humans aren't allowed in it. I have ribbons around it. Mm. It's kind of like a resting station for the na- for nature. So humans don't go in at nature. It was described to me as like a gas station. You know when you need to refuel. So mm. I have a spot here for the nature spirits to refuel and rest, things like that. That I don't show anybody. I just mm. tell them it's there. Because humans are going to want to go in there. They of course. Just, it's forbidden. Yeah. So <laughs> my husband <laughs> The just, forbidden garden. My husband just said, why is there a rope, you know, something around there? And don't I, go out there. I, I said, that's, that's not for you. You know, and I said, please respect that. Mm. And I always keep him another, we have 10 acres of woods. He doesn't need to be there. But anyway, it's a really neat place. Um, I do tours. I'm also going to be teaching. This is uh, 2022 in the end of July at Wild Herb Weekend, mm. which is the North Carolina Herbal Association. My mentor volunteered me for that. And at the end of the month, I'm working with the Organic Growers of August, the Organic Growers School and the Appalachian Beginning Forest Farmer Coalition, teaching people about woodland medicine. Mm. Like, how do you know where to plant? How do you, you know make trails. Um, I don't, I plant in communities because that's the way nature grows, you know, so basically you'll come here and learn what to do when your hands are going to get dirty, Mm. digging and planting, and there'll be stuff for you to take home. 